the, the essential nature of the kingdom is exhibited when Jesus actually says this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Here's what he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He said this, because he, he says this after teaching on not worrying. He says, why do you worry about what you're going to put on or what you're going to eat and where you're going to go, what are you going to have? You know, you're worried about how you're going to retire. When is that going to happen? He said, but all of that stuff, if you just understand one thing, if you seek first my kingdom, he said the stuff that you didn't even ask for will just be added to you. As many times as believers, we make it harder on ourselves. Like my sister always says, you can't be God-given no matter how much you try. Pastor Martin continues his sermon series, exhibiting the Father's attributes of giving. And today's message is the economy of the kingdom from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And let's listen as Pastor Martin explains. One beautiful element of this text is that Paul helps to outline the blessing that we have in knowing Christ Jesus. Now, he's, he's talking to the church at Colossae, and he's actually encouraging them. And, and so when he says, after we heard of your love for the believers and, and your faithfulness, he's actually reminding them because Paul had not actually met them. He had never met them. He was actually writing from prison. And he's referring to when he says that you have to, he heard uh, there's two uh, uh, thoughts as to how Paul heard. One is that, that Epiphas, who was the person who had taken the gospel to him, Paul worked with him, and then he took it back, believed to be his hometown, Colossae, and he was the one that shared the gospel. So there's two thoughts that maybe that he was also arrested for the gospel's sake and found himself there in prison with Paul, and it shared with them about Colossae, or that he had visited Paul in prison to, to give him a report. But in either case, he has come and has come to Paul's attention that these are some people who love. They love all the other believers, and they are faithful people. So then Paul goes on to help them to understand that as a part of their knowledge of who Christ is and having come into relationship through the good news of the gospel with Christ Jesus, that they had now been taken, have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and now have been brought into the kingdom of light. And then Paul describes it as the kingdom of the son of his love. And last week we talked about what did, what did we get when Jesus saved us? What, what came with the package when we, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? We talked about how all these other benefits that we did not know came with it, being justified, being set apart, and, and being taken from being a scum or a wretch undone to being a son or a daughter or now even a saint. All because we heard good news and responded in the affirmative. Now, I don't know about you, just this morning, someone was telling me about a good restaurant. And I've already made my mind up, I'm going to try it. Because they shared some good news 
and I plan to respond in the affirmative. Now, what does that mean? That when you heard the good news, just like the people of Colossae, you responded, and just as you responded and came into relationship with God through Christ Jesus, that you were then now conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his love, the son of his love that now you and I are citizens of a kingdom. Now, I know it's not easy for us here in the United States, all this king talk, because we as a nation are a result of a revolt against a kingdom. Remember the kingdom of England and that the pilgrims said, we're going to find our own land. We're going to go make our own place. We no longer will be under the rule of a kingdom. So we don't handle kingdom talk well, but understand this. You were born into a kingdom. You were born into the kingdom of darkness. And, and by default, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, you were on your way to hell. You had bought the plane, you bought the, the ticket, they said it's a train going. You got your train ticket, had the shirt, and had your luggage packed. But one day, just as the people of Colossae, somebody shared some good news about a plan that God has to redeem those from one kingdom and to bring them into a new kingdom. And now we are a part of the kingdom. And every kingdom has an economy. And that's our focus for today. Within every kingdom or sovereign nation, the people, there's an economy. And that economy is a system that is comprised of all of its resources. And this economy guides or gives directive to how those resources are used. It's a, it's a system that is designed to sustain and to support the kingdom by which it represents. So in every nation of the world, there are kingdoms. We may not call them kingdoms, but we call them sovereign nations, which we are a sovereign nation, meaning no other kingdom or no other nation reigns over us. We're sovereign. We reign over ourselves. So the key for us to understand is that when we talk about the economy of the kingdom, that every person within the kingdom recognizes, first and foremost, their position in the kingdom. And after representing their position in the kingdom, they recognize their responsibility to the kingdom. You may not be that patriotic, patriotic but let me say this. When they play the national anthem, Because I've visited some other nations in the world. And let me tell you, we got our problems. But thank God, 
<laughs> Thank God we don't have those. But the reality that we face is that when we understand that we are part of the kingdom of God, then we begin to express ourselves as kingdom citizens. The first and foremost point that I need to make today is I want to clarify because kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, the two terms are synonymous. And so ultimately, they're generally by, by most all biblical theologians and scholars accept that the reference is being kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven are referring to the same. Now, there are some that are small population of theologians uh, who believe that there's a difference between the kingdom of God, meaning the kingdom of God is here in the earth and that the kingdom of heaven refers to heaven. But when you begin to, to research further, you find out that we're talking about the same and part of the reason for this, this, this debate comes from uh, Matthew primarily uses the kingdom of heaven. And then you have Luke and Mark who use primarily kingdom of God. But when you start to, to, to look at them in a parallel, you discover that they're talking about, in some of the same instances, the references being made to the same thing. But we have to understand when we talk about the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that the kingdom of God is a spiritual realm. It is a spiritual realm where God reigns. And, the, and it's where God is the one who's ruling over that which is in the kingdom. See, the reason why it's important that you understand when Jesus says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Because by your natural birth, you were born into the first kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. But by your rebirth, your regeneration, you're now born of heaven, which through birth, we become citizens. Though there's some sitting here that may have come from another country where you may have dual citizenship based upon having been born one place. Because where you're born or born of, then you become a citizen of. So when Jesus says, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again, he was trying to help us understand that we have to change our citizenship. Because even though I am an American citizen, I've traveled to other countries. But I always travel to those countries knowing that I was not at home. And I don't get it if you don't get this, because if you don't understand that this earth is not your home, if you're born again, this earth is not, you're here and you take up residency here, but your citizenship should be of heaven. So the first thing I want to start by helping us all understand, because we are called and compelled to follow Jesus. And I want you to see something that Jesus, my first point for the day is that Jesus actually made the kingdom central to everything he was teaching. The, the essential nature of the kingdom is exhibited when Jesus actually says this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Here's what he says, but seek first. He says, whatever you're doing, whatever your goals are, your, 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 your objectives, your, your life plans are, he says, whatever you got going on, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He says, because he, he says this after teaching on not worrying. He says, why do you worry about what you're going to put on or what you're going to eat and where you're going to go, what you're going to have? You know, you're worried about how you're going to retire. When is that going to happen? He said, but all of that stuff, if you just understand one thing, if you seek first my kingdom, he said, the stuff that you didn't even ask for will just be added to you. So he made the kingdom central. In other words, here's what he said. He said, when you put the kingdom of God at the center of your lives by surrendering to God's will, everything we need will be provided for us. And that is essential to the kingdom's economy. Because when we start to consider how Jesus positions that by making the statement that everything else you've got going on, it must be subject to your pursuit of the kingdom. Because if we don't get this today, then you miss the whole point. That living by the kingdom of God is a major part of being a disciple. Because every citizen, when they understand their citizenship, they recognize there's rights and privileges that comes with that, but there's also an identity that's tied to it. We traveled and we were over in Italy, and so uh, and we're there, and you know we didn't speak any Italian, and so we're just around. You know, I'm just praying for somebody that can speak English. I'm just saying, hey, Lord, just make sure that the cab driver can speak, and then make sure somebody can. So we just need somebody because I just didn't have. I knew I didn't have the, the the prowess to go ahead and try to learn Italian enough to to take it with me, brother George. I just said I just got to go, and and see see how it works out, right? But we're there and we begin to understand that as we begin to speak, someone would say, you're from America. And the way we did what we were doing, they would say, are you guys from America? Because here's what I'm trying to get you to understand, that when I come into the kingdom, it should change the way I talk. It should change the way I walk. It's just change the way I do what I do so that somebody might say, you're not from around here. And then you have an opportunity to tell them, yeah, because I've been born of the water and of the spirit. And I have a new home and I want you to come and go with me. That points us, Brother Jerome, to our second observation for the day is that Jesus actually taught the kingdom. He, he made it central by saying, seek ye first the kingdom of, of heaven, of God, and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added. And then he taught it. I want to show you something. The term kingdom appears 53 times in 42 different places in Matthew. In 17 times, and in 13 places in Mark's gospel, which is the, the, the shortest gospel. And, it, and it's 41 times in 29 different places in the gospel of Luke. 
that the term kingdom, this is not necessarily Jesus' teaching, but just the term kingdom. However, Matthew talking, speaking of the kingdom, as I said earlier, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he used kingdom of heaven 31 times. But there are four times where he actually refers to the kingdom of God. He does that in, in Matthew chapter 12, 12, verse 28, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 24, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31, and Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43. He actually refers to the kingdom of God. Luke preferred, and he as Mark also preferred using the kingdom of God. Luke referred to the kingdom of God 32 times, and Mark followed that same pattern with 14 times where he says the kingdom of God. Now, many of these are when Jesus is teaching, he'll say, and the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. So he taught the kingdom, but he used, and he often used parables, the kingdom parables. He used them to convey a element or an attribute of what it looks like when you discover or find God's kingdom in the earth, here's what you're going to find. So he used the kingdom parables to, to convey that. Then the Bible tells us that in his final instructions, he actually also then begins to speak of the kingdom. When he gives the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 18, 19, and 20, he actually does a couple things that speaks of the kingdom. The first thing he does is he declares his lordship because he says, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And then he declares by commissioning, he speaks of what the kingdom's work was going to look like. Go ye therefore and make, a, go ye therefore and bring others into the kingdom. And even Acts actually says that when he resur was resurrected, he only spent his time teaching the kingdom. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says that he spoke those things pertaining to the kingdom. Why is this important, Pastor Martin? Because the first century church, they had kingdom perspective. They understood it. They actually preached the kingdom. If you go back and you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 12, you'll see the example of them speaking of the kingdom. If you go back and you look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, you see, once again, an example of teaching and preaching the kingdom. Acts chapter 20, verse 25, once again, teaching the kingdom. Then Acts 28, verse 31, where they speak of God's kingdom. So they understood that they were a part of a kingdom. So when Paul says this in, Col in Colossians chapter 1, that God has conveyed us into his kingdom, he was trying to help to make, make them aware in Colossae that they were kingdom citizens, just like he's speaking to us today, that we are kingdom citizens. If we've been born again, I don't want to mis misappropriate that. If we've been born, again, we've all been born once because you're sitting here. But the kingdom requires a second birth. 
by placing confidence in the gospel message that God sent his only begotten son, and his son's name is Jesus, and he came and died for the sins of the world. That whosoever puts their faith in him are now conveyed into the kingdom of God. A fourth observation, our kingdom citizenship. I'm gonna, I've, I've spent a lot of time speaking to that, but I want to give you scripture related to that. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, of the Son of his love. I love what the, the New Living Translation says. Listen to what it says. It says, For he has rescued us. Now, you know, that's hard to reconcile because, you know, we were glad in our sin, weren't we? Come on, be honest. Sin, sin feels good, didn't it? Some of us say, hey, I was a professional. I was a card-toting sinner. I, I, the brother said, said I was a teacher of sin. I could train others how to do it. He said, but he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness Realize it, realizing that we had a need and he looked beyond our faults and saw our need and he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So here's a couple passages that I want you to see. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Here's what Paul says. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Remember I told you you have to be, you, you, you gain citizenship based upon where you're born. Jesus says you must be born again. Being born again, born of heaven. That's why he says you must be born of the water. We go into baptism, but born of the spirit, which is from God. Bringing us into this new citizenship in heaven, he says, for our citizenship is heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because we know that we're going home one day. Dorothy said, like, when I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. See, see, because when I get to see Jesus, when I get there, love will be overflowing. See, all the stuff we deal with, that, if you don't like folks down here, I don't think you want to go to heaven. You want to clear your bench out. You don't want to sit nobody on your side. Hey, listen, you may not want to go because it's going to be full of love. Rubbing elbows and, and, and walking side by side. You know, God ain't going to deal with no, no elbow bumping in heaven. You know, when we go on road trips, the children back there, don't touch me. I'm like, hey, hey, we're all in one little vehicle here. How, how are you not going to be touched? But she's touching, touching, touching. <laughs> then, I, then I'll make one of those declarations that parents do. If you don't stop, you're going to ride on the roof. <laughs> and they look at me, yeah, sure, Dad. But he says we've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. So he says we're now citizens of heaven. But the key is that you have to ask yourself this question. 
Because when you talk about the kingdom, then you also then must deal with the lordship of Christ. And I need you to do me another favor. Don't ask somebody too close because they may hunt you back, but ask, just ask generally in the air. Don't, don't look at nobody. Just said, how was your Lord meter reading? Mm-hmm, because the meter tells you. If it's still over on empty, then he ain't, he, he not lording very much in your life. Because we talk about the lordship of Christ because ultimately understanding the lordship of Christ brings us to this place where we say, God, I must surrender and submit to what you would have. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, look what it says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. See, we want Savior, but we don't want Lord. Oh, we love to talk about how Jesus died on the cross. We love to talk about how he bled and died. But then he says, but if you want to be with me, you got to get up and Take your cross too. They were, oh, but thank God he died. <laughs> he says, yes, but I need for you to die to you lord it over your own life and allow him to be lord over your life. And he says, you got to do this daily. See, that's where my... Pentecostal brothers struggle because they talk about this one event, the second blessing. But let me tell you, you're going to need more than one a second. Well, you need a daily blessing. Every day with Jesus gets sweeter as it goes by, but it also requires you to lay aside some every weight that easily besets me. Some stuff cannot stay with you in the kingdom. Okay, let me go back. When we were traveling, we were going over to Europe, and we were trying to make sure we didn't take too much because we, we realized that, that we, we are American. And, you know, Americans, we travel with big old suitcases, and three or four, we're dragging them through the airport. <laughs> we're going on vacation. Well, we were doing some research. We realized that the average bag over there was about... So we understood that we couldn't take everything on the trip we were going on. And I just need somebody to understand that, see, your suitcase when you came to Jesus, it had a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, you, you came dragging two big suitcases of, of junk and mess and, and sin and all this stuff. But when you came to Jesus, you got to unpack that bag and put that stuff away because you can't take all of that into the kingdom. He says, so Jesus whom you crucified, yeah, he died, but he wasn't just a savior. He was Lord. That's why y'all didn't kill him on the ground. That's why even though you put him down to put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, you didn't leave him laying down because he said, I, even I, if I am lifted up. He was raised up because he was going to reign over all. 
So yes, he was crucified and he was savior, but he was also Lord. Here's another one Paul is teaching us today in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He said, for we do not preach ourselves, but we cre preach Christ Jesus the Lord. But then he goes on to say something else. He said, and we ourselves are his bond servants. He was basically saying, we don't have a choice. We just have to let him lead. Where he leads me, I'll follow so let's talk a little bit real quick before I close out today. And economy, let's, 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 let's understand this. And I know you're smart, you're intelligent, you already know this. You took econ in, in high school. <laughs> Government and econ. Remember those classes? Here's a general definition. A general definition of, of, of an economy is a social domain that emphasizes the practices, the discourse, and material uh, dis discourses and material expressions uh, associated with the production and or the use or the management of scarce resources. The system that decides how those resources will be used. So the, scare, the term scarce resource speaks of just limited. So that, that speaks, that brings everything into context because it's not unlimited, even though God has unlimited resources, but those within the economy are working with limited resource. Now, why is that important, Pastor Martin? Because when we talk about the economy, we must understand that in God's kingdom, his kingdom, the resources are his people, their devotion, their time, their talent, and let's not leave this one off, their treasure. So let's look at this because this last observation brings it all together. The final observation for today is the fourth one, and that is that we are compelled as citizens to support the kingdom. Oh, Pastor Martin. I'm going to show you a comparison of the natural kingdom that we live in and the spiritual kingdom. In the natural kingdom, there is what's called taxation. Taxation is, is an imposition of a compulsory levy on whatever you have. In our kingdom, the United States, there's taxes. And, and we don't like that word, do we? We vote against the man who's going to raise them. A woman, right? We say, hey, you ain't getting my vote because it's compulsory, but it, because it forces it. You don't get a choice. Now, here's another thing that you must understand. In our natural kingdom, the way the kingdom supports itself is that it levies and it's involuntary. It doesn't require your heart because when you, when you have to pay your taxes, your heart ain't in it, right? <laughs> the songwriter said in the, I think it was the 80s or 90s, if your heart ain't in it, why didn't you just tell me so? <laughs> so you don't, you, don't, you don't joyously pay tax. You look on your tax bill and say, my God. <laughs> Unless you're going to get a return, amen? 
Tax time, the church, the church lights up. Well, you know, for some, not everybody. <laughs> you know, around that March, April, boy, the offerings will go up. You know, hey, we big balling and shot calling. We all out leaving 20 and $30 tips. Yeah, yeah. You, you try to tip at McDonald's. You're feeling rich, ain't you? You know, you got that extra $1,000. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep the chains. The man, like, oh, that ain't number five cents. <laughs> But here's another thing about the natural kingdom, that taxes can go up whether your resources increase or not. That's in the natural kingdom. They don't come and say, hey, Sharita, can you pay more taxes? Okay, do, do you think that you could uh, add another $20 to your... They don't actually do they? They don't ask you, did you get a raise, Brother Isaac? Is you going to get some more? No, 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 no. Not, you, you, you pay what you pay, right? But here is the difference in Christ's kingdom. Because in Christ's kingdom, not to, to diminish what the sacredness of giving, but in, ta- in, in God's kingdom, we, we don't have taxes. We have tithes and offerings. Ooh. Tithes and offerings. But here is something that we must always reconcile. Because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 10, the first part of it, the question is asked, will a man rob God? Anybody ever heard that? Growing up, that was always offering time. Will a man rob God? (laughs) Yet you have said you've robbed God. (laughs) But he says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, what, how, how, God, how can we possibly rob you? And he says, tithes and offerings. But then in verse 10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you would not have room enough to receive. So here's what I need you to understand. There's three attributes that I just gave for this natural kingdom. I'm going to give the same for the spiritual kingdom. First one, it's not levied against you, but you are implored by God to do it, and it is voluntary. Taxes are involuntary. You don't have to, you, you, don't, you, you call and say you don't want to do it. They say, okay. Thank you for the letter. Pay the bill. So it's not levied against you, but it's implored and it's voluntary. The next one, it does require your heart. Because look what what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. He says, so let each one give as he or she has what? Purposed in their heart. IRS does not want to, they don't care what's in your heart. You, if you get behind, go and tell the judge. It was in my heart to do it. I just, I just never did it. Uh. But God says, give as you have purposed in your heart. The last attribute is that it increases only as your resource increases. Ah, look at this. So 
here we have in 1 Corinthians. Let's pull this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Look, it says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay of you. Lay aside, there's something missing. But as God has purposed or prospered you is the key. He says, only give as you have been blessed. So here's how it works. My giving is attached to God's blessing. Here's what I would would say. Uh, If if God wants you, Brother Jerome, to give $10,000 to the church, I'm prophesying today, Brother, that God wants to... (laughs) I, I, I feel in the spirit that he's, he's called you out. <laughs> but if God wants to get $10,000 into his kingdom, then that means he's going to bless somebody in the kingdom with 100000 And wait a minute, it gets good because if he wants to get a million into the kingdom, he's got to bless somebody with $10 million. What if he needs a hundred million? Because ultimately, the question is not whether he'll do it. The question is, can he trust you to do it? That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes. Visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week. Be blessed.